Welcome to Practical Rambling Fathers, Father Brian. This is Father Tate. And today, we're going to talk about the fun topic oh. of annulments versus divorce. What is proposed to be a Catholic marriage? Correct. Um, and what is the main difference between annulment and divorce? And a little bit about the annulment and the process, um, the process and the grounds for annulment, um, and then also a little bit of using Ephesians five um, to talk about what, what marriage, marriage? Um, is proposed to be. Awesome. Father so, Tay? Yeah. So let's start off with just discussing about uh, the definition of a divorce. Right, so, so a divorce is, you know, it's it's when you go when you go to court and then you're breaking civilly, right, a recognized civil union between a man and a woman. So a divorce is breaking, seeing something there, a union being there, and it's physically snapped, broken mm-hmm. by law. Correct. And the reason why we had to go with divorce first and its definition. Because annulment is often a word now that's been misused. As many majority of Catholics have that, we think of annulment as our version of divorce, but it's not. Right. It goes deeper than that. So what happens with annulment, the actual definition is this. An annulment is a declaration by a church tribunal, which is a Catholic church court, that a marriage thought to be valid according to church law actually fell short of at least one of the essential elements required for a binding union. So in English, what does that mean? It means that a marriage is brought to the brought to the tribunal and then upon further investigation, right, they're not breaking anything apart. They're seeing from if they retrace their steps back to the original when these two couples got married, right, was it a marriage was the marriage valid to begin with? Or upon further discovery, there were things worth concern that makes us reconsider if the marriage actually was valid or not. And in the process of the annulment, um, there's a person that's called the defender of the bond. And so it's his role or her role to defend the bond at all costs and to say the sacrament does exist and to try to prove that it will exist um, because Jesus tells us himself what God has put together, let no man put asunder. So we need to recognize the realness of um, what God binds together in the sacrament of marriage. And civilly, it's a breaking of realizing something's there. Annulment is more of a discovery of what looked like a marriage for 30 years at the point of vows was actually not a marriage and the church assumes every marriage to be valid Correct. until it is um, through this long process possibly long process um, of getting witnesses of talking to different people in, in lives of both parties um, to come to realize that at the moment of the vows they were not given um, freeing the ways that it should have been given, which is one of the reasons why the church spends so much time doing that form one, and typically in normal cases people lie on the form one. So don't lie in form ones. Yeah, just be more honest as you can when you meet with your priest and for marriage prep. 
the reason why the, uh, the Catholic Church asks these pointed questions is because we want to prepare you for a good marriage. We want you to be educated. We want you to be well informed during this uh, forming process so that if anything of concern comes up, then you can talk with, with it with your engaged you know, with your engaged person and your fiance and talk to the mentor couples like, okay, we just discovered this. How do we go about it, right? How do we live together when we get married? How would this look like? You know, it's it's good it's good for all the brothers and sisters to understand that we as a Catholic church know that marriage is holy. That's why we want to defend it. That's why we're talking about these difficult concepts because we know it happens. But at the same time, the more we can educate for the future generations, the future couples who are going to get married, the better and holier families we can have within a Catholic Church. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants all of us to become holy, the best saints that we can be, especially as strengthening of Christian marriages as well. Perfect. You want to go through the myths sure. real quick of annulments? Yeah. So the Diocese of Harrisburg puts out this really short, um, really short 12 myths, and they do a great job of explaining the hesitancy sometimes of going through an, an annulment. For example, myth number one, a divorced person is automatically excommunicated from the Catholic Church. The truth is that the divorce itself does not affect or alter a person's status in the Catholic Church. Right? Divorce is a function of the civil law and the secular courts. And although it's been a widespread misconception for many years, it is a myth that a divorced Catholic is excommunicated that's not able to receive the sacraments within the church. So that's that's the first myth. Second myth. Oh, you have any comments? No. Perfect. Uh, an annulment costs thousands of dollars. That's not true. The truth is that no tribunal anywhere in the world asks for a lot of money like the typical lawyers would ask for. Although the fee requested for an annulment process does vary from one diocese to the other or from one tribunal to the other. Um, and so, with this particular diocese, the requested fees range from one hundred dollars to five hundred dollars, depending on the type of the case. But for the us in Winona Diocese, it's free. Correct. The CMA actually helps pay for that. So, which you put a plug, right? When, when we talk about CMA, these are the other things that the CMA helps for. And then a good a good point to know is that no tribunal will turn you away from a case if that you if you're in need of financial assistance. All right, myth number three: only Catholic marriages need to be annulled. That is not true. The truth that every marriage is considered a promise for life, a promise until death. It makes no difference whether the promise was made in a Catholic ceremony or not. No one, no matter what their religious affiliation or membership is considered free to contract another marriage if they were married previously. Every prior marriage must be investigated and annulled before a person can enter into a new marriage. It is a myth that no annulment is required if a person wasn't married in a Catholic ceremony. So that means on a, the Form 1, is there any previous marriage? It's def, it says, it states, even state marriages, so even the... Even Crazy weekend in Las Vegas counts right. as a marriage. Correct. Possibly. Correct. Yeah. Under further investigation, might have not been. Yeah. So just once again, be honest. We're here to, as Catholic priests, we're here to help you have the best marriage as possible. So leave no stern, stone unturned. Myth number four. If an annulment is granted, the children will be illegitimate. 
The truth is that an, an ecclesiastical annulment is concerned only with the spouses and not the children. An annulment has no effect at all on the, on the, on the, the legitimacy of children or other arrangements regarding children, such as custody or support. These are all concerns of the civil law, and the ecclesiastical annulment has absolutely no effects under civil law. It is a myth that granting annulment makes the children illegitimate. Right. So the church on that one, it, every marriage is a valid marriage until proven otherwise. So um, it means everything that happened within that marriage was presumed valid, and so kids are valid. Correct. Myth number five. It takes three to five years to get an annulment. The truth is that every annulment case is different, and some processes are longer than, than others. But fewer cases ever take more than 18 months from start to finish. Decades ago, it did take several years, but today, the longest process is usually from 9 to 18 months. Sometimes the cases can be finished a month or less, but it's a myth that a typical marriage annulment takes three years or more to complete. It just really depends on the case. It depends on the case, and it depends on the response level of the witnesses and all those other things. Um, the folks that work on it are working on it diligently, and sometimes it's the how long it takes to get the whole entire case worked together. It's the majority of the time. Yeah, and that's the that's the typical fear, right? A lot of people will want an Arcosingian annulment, but they're afraid of how long it will take. Myth number six, anyone who applies and waits long enough will get an annulment. The truth is that tribunals do give negative decisions. The burden of proving case rests on the petitioner, that is the person who applies for the, for the annulment. The Catholic Church presumes that every marriage is a valid union and there must be sufficient grounds for declaring otherwise. The tribunal will help the petitioner to understand what's needed to develop a case, but if there isn't enough proof, then the tribunal will give a negative decision, meaning no. It's a myth that everyone who applies will get an annulment. There are, I do know people that have been not granted their annulments, and once the annulment process is over, um, there's normally um, casework, or there's uh, reports done on both individuals that said, hey, by the way, these are different elements of your life that you might want to look at, too. Awesome. Myth number seven. If children were born in the marriage, it can't be annulled. The truth is that the Catholic Church considers an openness to children to be a natural and essential part of sacramental marriage. But whether any children were actually born or not has no bearing on the possibility of an annulment. If children were born, it is important that both parents live up to their natural and legal obligations to their children. It is a myth, however, that marriage can't be annulled if the marriage resulted in children. So this is the really hard part. Divorce looks at the current situation and breaks the current situation, and annulment doesn't worry about what happened after the moment of the vows. It matters what happens before the moment of the vows. Um, and so there isn't a, you know, all of a sudden there's infidelity or in, all of a sudden there's um, something that happens and um, you're like, oh no, like now there, I have a reason for annulment or I have a reason for divorce. Okay, you might have a reason for divorce. You don't necessarily have annulment. Annulment we have to prove that maybe that possibility before, like um, one of the questions in the form one is you're intended to be remain faithful to this individual for the rest of your life. And they responded yes, but under further question and under investigation, um, turns out they didn't have that in mind at all during, uh, you know, 
um, days of leading up to marriage. So the actual sacrament itself taking place. Thank you. Myth number eight. The ex-spouse has to agree to annulment or it can't be granted. The truth is that both spouses have equal rights in annulment proceeding, but, it, but that doesn't mean that the respondent or the ex-spouse person, the ex-spouse of the person who starts the annulment process has to agree to annulment. The truth is that the tribunal judges can grant an annulment even if the ex-spouse is adamantly opposed to the idea of an annulment. It is a myth that both spouses have to agree to annulment. Right. Which is different from a divorce. Right. So the annulment process, and it definitely can happen. Sometimes it's easier in the divorce process to sort of, I'm going to use the word, throw yourself under the bus of the reasons why annulments could happen. It's almost easier to say, I was the one that made a mistake, and then I don't have to necessarily worry about the other party um, being involved, especially if the other party doesn't want to be involved in the process, then it's easier to um, get all those data points um, on yourself and in your own history. Um, so sometimes that's an easy, easier way about mm. the process. Yeah. Myth number nine, <clears throat> an annulment is just a Catholic divorce. The truth is that civil divorce and church annulment are two different things. A divorce is concerned with the legal realities of marriage only, um, but an annulment is concerned with the religious and spiritual element, the sacrament of marriage. A divorce focuses on the end of a marriage, while the annulment looks at the beginning, the very moment the couple said, I do. A divorce looks at the marriage in civil law, an annulment looks at marriage from the perspective of the gospel and of the church doctrine. It is a myth that annulment is divorce, Catholic style. That's pretty much self-explanatory. Yep. But it shows the power, though, right? The power of how the church views the sacredness of marriage. Yep. Dude, that, that's... Awful what Jesus said. Yeah, no, that's powerful. Um, myth number 10. An annulment means the marriage never took place. The truth is that annulment can't erase history, and it doesn't even try to. Annulment in the Catholic Church deals only with the sacrament of marriage and not the legal, historical, emotional truth of marriage. Annulment states that the sacrament was never present in the marriage and not that the marriage never took place. It's a myth that annulment means the marriage never happened. This is kind of what we were hinting before when we went through the definitions of what's the difference between a, a divorce versus an annulment. Myth number 11. The tribunal is like a courtroom with judges, witnesses, lawyers, and cross-examinations. The truth is that the tribunal is a court of law for the church, but it's very different from a civil courtroom. Depending on the type of case, the spouse may have advocates. There will be one to three judges. But most of the work is done in writing. And so if you are the one petitioning for it, there will be a question, a template that will ask you, okay, so what is your life prior to this marriage? What was it during the marriage right, and after the marriage? We're just asking all these two different things. Um, and so you, you're, you're required to write a, a biography and send it in. Um, there's never an emotional courtroom seen as, as in television, TV shows, or dramas. If a person appears in person to offer testimony, it is usually done in a private interview and never with cross-examination. It's a myth that the tribunal is like a TV courtroom. All right, now we're on to the last myth, myth number 12. The idea of annulment is pure legalism in the Catholic Church. 
The truth is that annulment is packaged in a legal environment since it, that is the best way to protect the right to interest of everyone involved. But it's far more than, a, than just a legalistic process. People who have gone through annulment have found peace and insight into themselves and their marriages. It is a myth that only the concern of the church in annulment is legalism. But through the tribunal process, the church invites you to find healing, forgiveness, and new joy. Please con for more information, please contact your local parish and then, or, or your diocese too as well. Nice. Cool. All right. With all those myths, now we are going to do this, I guess, backwards. But we're going to look at what is it to be a valid marriage? What is the church proposed marriage to be? Um, and this is off the USCCB. So for a Catholic marriage to be valid, these six things have to be present. Um, the spouses are free to marry, number one. Number two, they are capable of giving their consent to marry. Three, they, are fr they freely exchange their consent. Four, in consenting to marry, they have the intention to marry for life, to be faithful to one another, and to be open to children. Uh, that open to children can be... Um, <laughs> not as much of a reality, uh, especially when people over the age of uh, 50 or 60 end up getting married later in life. So that's not necessarily open to children. It is for anyone under that. Um, five, they intend, it, they intend the good uh, uh, of each other. Um, and six, their consent is given in the presence of two witnesses before the proper... Properly author authorized. authorized church minister, exceptions to the last requirement must be approved by church authority. So, two witnesses before proper authority uh, of the church would be that. So that's form, and that's been around since the Middle Ages or so when everyone was getting married and nobody was keeping track of any of it and it was only all of a sudden it was like end of harvest season we're no longer married and the church is like oh that's a problem we we, we nope. nope not good once you marry you're married <laughs> so yeah so it's a historical thing so um those are the different uh, those are all the steps and like when father say some of those are going so we're free to marry we're capable of giving our consent we freely exchange right um and all those things proceed on our not giving of our consent to somebody else. So we are free because we haven't already given ourselves once to somebody already. So now we're going to read the fun um, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians 5, chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. This is the fun one. Um, because... There's a lot of words that are used in here that are fun to uh, to decipher and get through and move through. But I'm going to read it to you all the way through. And I want you to listen as if it's not talking about marriage at all. Because um, that really, uh, I do this exercise with all of my couples preparing for marriage. All my engaged couples. Because uh, St. Paul isn't first and foremost talking about marriage per se so listen to it and with that in mind don't think about marriage think about what he's actually almost talking about 
Be subjective to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subjected to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject to everything to their husband. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the waters with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no man hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That was an interesting translation. The other word for subject is to be subordinate. That's the other one. Be submissive. Be submissive or subordinate. So subject is... Anyways, I like the, the meatier one of that. But anyways... Uh, we got to start at the back. We got to start at the back of this passage in order to understand the fr- the front and what the church and what St. Paul is proposing marriage to be. Okay. So, if it isn't about the couple, if it isn't about husbands and wives, what is it about? Well, it's very clearly it's about Christ and His church and what Christ did for His church. And so that very last line is what it is all about, right? I mean this in reference to Christ and His church, right? Um, and so this whole entire passage is more about Christ and his church than it is ever about a husband and wife. And what did Christ do for the church within this reading? Well, he died for her, right? He died for her to uh, have life, have it more abundantly, have the sacraments, have access to his very self um, through the Mass, through Scripture, through the tradition, through all those different various ways. And so he dies, he takes on this mission of dying for his church to present to himself a spotless, wrinkled, um, uh, spotless without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then Christ loves the church, right? Continues to walk with the church. And... um, this is an interesting dynamic that we have. Uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is not at all what happens within the sacrament of marriage. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, the traditional walking the bride up the aisle, it's, it's the backwards version of that. I mean, if you look at that, technically what should be happening is the man should be walking down the aisle. With and his wife only. Well, right. I mean, that's one of them, right? Yeah. So there's three different variances of how to yeah. do that through the church. But it's the uh, man should be leaving his father and his mother. Like, he's the one that should be leaving, not her. And what is that? That's the good of womanhood. Like, he wants to leave because he has to die. He has to give of himself. He has that. to give of himself for the 
for his bride to leave. And so we work our way backwards. So it's Christ is giving, sanctifying his, giving his life to sanctify her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the mission of the husband is to die for the wife. And the wife is a subordinate to that mission to allow her husband to die for her and the greater family. And it's also a submissive subordination to call him to that when he isn't. Correct. Um, and that's the beautiful part about that whole being subjective to one another out of reverence for Christ. So because of Christ dying for all of us, we are in this mission collectively to die for each other. Exactly to Christ, yep. for Christ. And so it's not a I'm over you. It's not a I'm under you. Yep. It's uh we're doing this together. And that's the ministry and beauty of what the Lord calls us to in the sacrament of marriage. It's like it's a beautiful way of saying, how can I die for your holiness exactly. and without blemish and to keep that? And so it's the wife's ability to allow her husband to do that, to do that mission for him to die for the kids for herself um and then it's also when that isn't happening to call to better right and this is the submission of christ even against the churches uh, that's christ for the church like he he died he continually you know in some sense he continually gives up himself yeah, you see that the church garden, you see that garden Gethsemane, right father if it is possible let this cup pass from me at the end of this prayer is not my will, but yours be done. <clears throat> and so I just want to react to what Father Brian's been talking about, right? As you're reading through this, try to put your 21st century vision away and what you know of the culture and of your family life. Just listen to what St. Paul is saying. He's saying, if you love Christ first and foremost, then you will strive to love him like you should love your spouse. And everything else will follow, right? If you love Christ enough to fight for that time, to be in a relationship with him, to spend that hour with him, however long, you have time to allow for, you'll see that kind of self-dedication, but also the motivation to do the same for your husband, right? And for husbands to do the same for your wife. The question isn't, all right, you're, well, you're not being a man, so I, I gotta, you know, it's, no, it's not about power. It's just, do I love you enough to allow you to grow? Do I love you enough to step aside and allow you to leave my family, our family? Not mine, but our family. Right, lead, and then not only that, but to be submissive in that role of going towards holiness together yep. and being able to help each other mutually go towards that Correct. holiness. Yeah, keep on, keep on going. That's good. Um, do do do. So Christ is the head of the church, and so anything that the man is about, the man should be about Christ. Um. And so, as Christ is head of the church, so should the husband be over uh, his wife. What does that mean? The man's virtue should be up to snuff with Christ, um, right? So that's a big call um, for our lives is my virtue should be Christ, should be St. Joseph's virtue level. And so, as that husband, um, as Christ leads this church, so I am leading this life of holiness in my own existence to uh, to be able to discern well and to walk well with my family and um, all those um, who are entrusted to me by God. And so, and then lastly, just for our, our, our brothers out there fighting the good fight, um, 
We're all called to die. There's a fatherhood is called to die um, to self for Christ. So as a priest to do it for your people, or as a married man to do it for your bride, um, the bride, the church for a priest, um, and for Christ Himself, and then as a married man for wife and kids, and uh, out of reverence and admission for Christ. Correct. Please draw up our prayers for all of you out there. We pray for you and your family and your spouses that you remain strong and you remain holy and striving to love like Christ did, which is giving up his life for the church. We are all called to do the same. And we know that family life is difficult, and that's why we spend this time and this prayer to really build up the family life. And so continue. Men, dedicate yourself to St. Joseph. Women, Dedicate yourself to our Blessed Mother each and every day as you wake up saying, Lord, I consecrate my marriage, right, to, to, to you, St. Joseph. Help me to be to grow as you did in, in your marriage to our Blessed Mother and, and to take care of Jesus. Women, right? Blessed Mother, I gave you my marriage. I gave you my spouse in order for me to become holy as you did for St. Joseph's. And if this is steep or, you know, mm-hmm. a big ask, yeah, that's the role. That's our life. Yep. God doesn't want us to just tolerate life. He wants us to love life, love each other. He doesn't want me to just tolerate my spouse. He wants me to love my spouse, right? Even um, when it hurts. Which is where the world is at. I just just tolerate me. Nope. No. No. Nope. That's not love. And then love. Got to go further. Yep. So anyways. Um, what? Oh, so what I was going to go with that. Uh, sacraments of the church, and this is why the sacrament of the church exists. Holiness is not possible without the sacramental life of the church, in some sense, right? So, going to Mass, receiving the Jesus. Eucharist, yes. having Jesus inside of me at each and every Sunday, or more often, yep. being having my sins forgiven by a priest um, as often as I need to, regardless of how embarrassed or blah, blah, blah I am. Correct. Um, and prayer, right? Prayer, stick close to the word of God. Let it seep in your hearts. Yeah. Anointing of the sick, uh, reading scripture, all those different facets of life that God so badly has given us and so desires us to, to use. Um to become holy and to be able to live out this radical life um, that he's calling us to, particularly in marriage, um, as, as, our, as our focus is for this podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Uh, once more, click on that subscribe button. And we'll be starting on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. No, Monday after Ash Wednesday on our Lenten series. Journeying for Lent. So. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you later. What? No, we got to tell them about 5,000. We hit 5,000 downloads. Woo! It's, it's not about the numbers, Father Brian. It's, it's, it's about, about the, the numbers. It's about the ministry. Dude, <laughs> it's dude. It's not about the numbers, but... Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But anyways, no, thank you. And I mean, this has taken a lot further off than we expected. We just wanted to provide a platform for all of you, brothers and sisters of Christ, that, who are wanting to have a deeper relationship with Jesus, to deepen your prayer life, and to become faithful and holy Catholics. So we are very astounded and overwhelmed by your generosity, but as, as well as your prayers and your support. 
So, so continue to lend us your help by uh, clicking on the subscribe button or downloading our podcast. Wow, twice and once. All right, so these are the states we haven't gotten to in the U.S. Utah, Wyoming, Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina, West Virginia, Vermont, and Maine. So Other than that... So if you're out there and you're from those states... Oh, and Rhode Island. Be the first to give a shout-out from your state. So we just got... Um, yeah, so those states... We've gotten four downloads in New Wales, in um, New Wales, in uh, wherever that is. England. No, New Wales. I don't know what that is. I feel it's like a Providence. It's a Providence of uh, Australia. Oh, all right. I feel. And then we got sixty-four in Ontario, and then we got Nova Scotia. We got two downloads, and we got one download this in British Columbia, one in Alberta, Canada, and then across the world, uh, we got India, we got South Africa, we got Cameroon, we got Milan, Malaysia, we got Germany, we got United Kingdom, we got. We got a lot. We got a lot. We got Brazil. We got Mexico. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. So, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to us. Stay holy, my friends. <laughs>